Praise God. Well, let's get into God's word together. My hope is this morning that, you know, as you read through in Acts, it talks about how they would visit the churches and strengthen and encourage them in the faith. And so my prayer is this morning that we'll be encouraged as we continue our series together, uh, which is titled How to Pray. And uh, this is based upon the prayer course by uh, Pete Gregg. And uh, our base scripture is the Lord's Prayer. And so we're going to be beginning to unpack that today after Wendy teed up the series for us last week on why we pray. We're going to begin to unpack um, looking at the Lord's Prayer together today. And we're going to look at really where prayer begins. And so just to remind us that uh, the whole Lord's Prayer was born out of a request from the disciple. uh, Really, you know, on behalf of the disciples, really, Lord, teach us to pray. Luke 11, verse 1. And as we heard rightly last week, that the Jewish people were not unfamiliar with prayer. So it wasn't like they kind of, what is this new thing? I've never heard of prayer. But it was a a new way of praying, if you like, that they'd never really witnessed before. Because Jewish people would pray up to 18 times a day, actually, set prayers when they would talk to God. And so they'd heard people pray. They were familiar with prayer. But they'd never heard someone pray like Jesus. And so when they heard him communicating and talking to the Father, it kind of birthed this desire in them, which was really at its heart, simply this, Jesus, you've got to teach us how to connect with the Father like that. We want to be able to commune and connect with him like you're doing. And so Jesus then gives them the Lord's Prayer out of that desire, that request. And the proverbial prayer penny, if you like, was really beginning to drop for the disciples now that actually it's not whether you pray, but how you pray. There was something about the way that Jesus prayed. In fact, uh, and the scripture will see this in a moment, they were beginning to, Jesus was beginning to teach them, it's not even the quantity of your prayers, but the quality, if you like. And I'll expand upon that in a minute. But Matthew 6, verse 6 to 8, Jesus speaking says, When you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you you. And when you pray, now note this, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. It's like Jesus is saying, don't even stress about the right formula of words. Having all the right words down, don't even stress about it being big or eloquent. I said earlier, when we read that, you know, it almost just makes me go, ah, because sometimes we feel inferior when we think about prayer. We, see, we listen to people who seem to be able to express themselves so eloquently and, you know, using the full range of the dictionary. And we might think, well, what can, how, if, oh. and we kind of feel inferior. But it's like Jesus is saying, no, 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 relax. Actually, it takes the stress off and the pressure off that you're coming to the Father who knows what you need even before you ask him. So it's not about having it all kind of down and together and, In fact, I I love these couple of quotes that Augustine said this, God hears the heart's voice. And uh, this chap, Father Jean, I only say that because I said earlier on I can't pronounce his surname, says this, it is the heart that prays, it is to the voice of the heart that God listens, and it is the heart that he answers. And so Jesus doesn't kind of come along and hand them this great big chunky prayer dossier like, there you go boys, read through that, understand that, recite that, learn that back to back, and then come back to me and you're going to be able to really pray. You're going to be able to really connect 
with the Father. But Jesus just gives them, actually, the beauty of the Lord's Prayer really is in its simplicity. How simple it is and how accessible it is for a child all the way up to someone at the opposite end of life. It's open to all. It's accessible to all. It goes beyond cultures, backgrounds, everything. It goes around the world and it is beautifully simple. And Jesus says there's not even something you've got to recite word for word. Now, there's absolutely a place and a time when we do uh, read out the Lord's Prayer together. I believe there's a power in doing that. But actually what he was trying to hand them was something for their personal life. He talks about when you go into your room, when you're getting alone with the Father, when there's no one else there. So absolutely we pray it in publicly, but actually this is to empower your personal private life, your relationship with Jesus. And so... And, and to the Father, your connection to the Father. And so um, he, he just begins to teach us that actually what we have here is a, a pattern for prayer, a framework, if you like, for us to use in our time with God that anyone can use. And, and really what Jesus teaches us, where we're going we're gonna to jump in it, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, where we're going to focus today. When we, we say this, just read this with me, would you, if you would, please, this morning. If you're at home, say it at home. I, I can't hear you, but I'm in faith you'll say it. It says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Jesus is teaching us how we approach the Father in prayer is important. And that actually, if we're going to connect with him, which Jesus wants for us, we need to appreciate actually how we start, how we approach God really matters. It's actually key to connection. It's key to a fruitful prayer life. And Jesus is really trying to teach us there we mustn't get off on the wrong foot. Now, two sides to that. One, in terms of what we think prayer is actually all about. And secondly, that we mustn't get off on the wrong foot with the wrong image or the wrong focus in our mind. Now, let me unpack that a little bit because most of us, when we think about prayer, we tend to typically think of asking. You know, prayer is where we come and we ask God for things, you know, for the things we need, etc. But on the prayer course, and I love this simple analogy, which I, I, I hope, or um, sort of illustration, sorry, which I hope will help us, which is that they talk about the microscope approach to God and the telescope approach of God to God and spending time with him. And how easy it is, and I, I definitely want to say I've fallen into this many times going microscope as I've approached God, how easy it is to actually, when we come to him and we begin to pray, to immediately begin to focus on ourselves, on our feelings, and on our needs. And we're looking through that microscope and the kind of the, the, the magnifying, the, the, the kind of the issues, the things that we're focusing on is what's going on in our world and in our life. Now, it's not that God is disinterested because actually he's the best father that there is. He's our heavenly father. And actually, as a father, he wants us to ask him. And we're going to see that the deeper we get into the Lord's Prayer, we're going to see that he wants us to ask him and he wants to answer. But actually, what he's trying, what Jesus is trying to teach us here is that actually when we come, don't begin at the microscope. But actually, we're to begin by looking through a telescope. And what I mean by that is that prayer actually starts in the place of looking up. Actually looking up and realizing and remembering and focusing upon who God is. 
That we're not meant to begin at a place of asking, but actually the whole essence of what Jesus is trying to teach us is that we're to begin at a place of worship and adoration. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The Westminster Catechism says this, man's chief aim is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And it's like Jesus is trying to teach us that actually the key to connection, the key to a fruitful prayer life is to realize that worship and adoration like tee the whole thing up. Pete Gregg Gregg talks about how it seems to prime the whole thing. You know, it tees it up. And out of that worship and adoration, we find that out of that connection, everything begins to flow. And so Jesus says, when you come, don't start with the microscope, looking through a microscope of need, but look through a telescope focused upon who God is. There's an interesting quote that they make in the course, which is this one. I don't know what you'll make of this one, but I'll say it anyway. Most people's biggest problem with prayer is God. I'm just going to leave that one hanging out there for a moment while you think what on earth is meant by that. Most people's biggest prayer with uh, biggest problem with prayer is God. Actually, what he's trying to say is that so often we really can, if we're not careful, actually fall into having a wrong image. We start with a wrong focus, a wrong image of who the one we are coming to is. But it's important that we have the right view of who God is because how we view him affects everything. You know, it's crucial because in every relationship in our life, every relationship in our life, who you believe someone to be always determines how you relate to them. So if, if Johnny talks to me about someone and, and tells me they're, they're not very nice, you know, they're loud and brash and they're pretty horrible and I've never met them, how many people know what tends to happen when someone says something like that? And Johnny's never said that about anyone. But how many, how many people know that when someone says that, immediately it's now you're filtering how you're going to relate to that person. I'm going to be a bit standoffish then. You know, and if I don't actually turn out to be like that, that kind of really catches you off guard. And, and similarly so, you know, they're loving and kind. You kind of think, oh, I really want to hang out with this person. They sound lovely. And so we always filter that through kind of who I determine someone to be determines how I relate to them. And so with God, what Jesus is trying to teach us with the Father is how, who I believe him to be will dictate how I relate to him. And so he's working overtime to say to us, you have to see he's a father. When you begin to approach him, Simply, you have to start at this place and this understanding that I am coming to my father who wants to spend time with his child. And that I'm a child coming to spend time with my father. And that is, in its essence, what prayer is. I say that because I want us to know that actually this image, Beth, I'm going to get you to come up again. This image that I'm going to use Beth to help me with, I shared this one Sunday evening, but it's the simplest way I can get this across. I just wonder how often, and Beth my daughter, if anyone's watching at home or in the building who doesn't know, but how often is this image the one that we have in our mind when we come to spend time with God? A child wanting to spend time with a father, a father wanting to spend time with their child. And sometimes we read that word father and we think, gosh, that sounds a bit posh, you know? Our Father in heaven. But you had heard it before that that word there is the word Abba. In Jewish culture, it's the word for when a child, you know, calls out to their dad or daddy. That's what it means. 
They fall over, they scuff their knee. Very, little, very rarely when my children were young did they turn around and go, Father, when they fell over. But I heard this, Daddy, maybe through tears. That is what the heart of God is. This is what Jesus is wanting to us. That's the word. It's Abba, Abba, Daddy, Daddy. I'm coming to spend time with my dad. Not a limited, earthly, imperfect dad, but the best, most kind, most loving, most powerful, most resourceful, most good father that there is. My heavenly father. And that's why they say that prayer is not, Pete Griggs says this, prayer is not filling our shopping carts with requests and ramming it against heaven's gates. It's relational, not transactional. It's not seeing God as a slot machine in the sky waiting for my requests. But prayer at its heart is intimacy and presence and relationship. It's me climbing up onto my daddy's lap. It's me being with him. You know, I love it when my children just want to be with me. I mean, I want them to ask me for things. If they need things, of course I do. But, you know, there's something quite refreshing when they just come along and they don't say, Dad, can I have the latest fidget spinner? Can I have the V-Bucks from a console? Can I have this dress? Can I have some money to go to Waffleopolis? They just come along and they just sit. And it ministers to my heart. What about this for a thought? When you come to God and you say, yes, I've got needs, but we'll get onto them later because I know you're good and I know you want to answer them. But when you come and you just say, God, I'm just here for you. I just want to be with you. What a thought that you minister to the Father. Wow. And what a thought that he's like, I want to be with you even more. And so the starting goal is God. He's the aim. Out of that intimacy come the answers to the solutions, uh, so situations. You know, come the things that we need, they're a result of that, they're a fruit of that, but they're not the goal, they're not the aim. The aim is God himself, the Father. And so adoration is not about me coming to get something from God, but coming to give my love and affection to him. Matthew 6, 6 in the message version says, here's what I want you to do, find a quiet, secluded place so you, don't, so you won't be tempted to role play before God. I love these next two lines. Just be there. Just be there. There's a word for someone right now. Just be there. Just be there. Simply, oh, thank God. And honestly, as you can manage. And the focus will shift from you to God. And you'll begin to sense his grace. Just be there. Simply, what a weight off my shoulders. Honestly, Let's keep it real. And the focus begins to shift from you to God. Out the microscope, through the telescope. Jesus says that we really begin to connect when the Father comes before my needs, my bread, my forgiveness, my guidance. Don't rush into that stuff. Don't dive into that stuff. But just stop. It's like Jesus is trying to teach us. Just stop and remind yourself who you're coming to. Get the focus. Man, here's a word for you. I don't know if you're going to believe it or not. Prayer can actually be enjoyable. (laughs) You might think my experience has been very different. It's entirely possible because I loved 
spending time with my dad. You know, part of what was so devastating for me when he died in the car crash was the fact that I was deprived of an opportunity to spend time with him anymore. I loved spending time with him. I love spending time with my children. I hope they love spending time with me. But the point was, it wasn't a chore. It wasn't like, oh, I have to see my dad this weekend because he didn't live at home, or, oh, I have to go and play badminton with him. It wasn't a chore. And actually understanding what the heart, the father heart of God that Jesus is teaching us about here, understanding what prayer is first about is the key to moving us from I have to pray to I want to pray. So pause, be still, look up through our telescope at a big dad, and then it says, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. How many times this week have you used the word hallowed in your house? Not a common word, not one that we're using very often. So let's have a definition of it. You know I love a good definition. To treat as or acknowledge or honor as sacred, holy, special, and ultimate. To set apart. It's the telescope. Jesus is saying you've got to look up and focus on the fact that God is sovereign. And God is good. And God is awesome. And God is holy. And God is big. You know, of course, they talk about rarely does someone look up, the st- look up at the stars and think about themselves. You know? Or think I'm great. But as we look up and we acknowledge who he is, you're holy, you're special, you're set apart, you're good, you're God, you are big. We are hallowing him. That our response to his presence is our reverence. Yes, he's a father, a loving father who greets us with a smile and not a scowl. But he's also in heaven and he's to be hallowed. And so it's not just that actually having a wrong image of God that causes some people to struggle in their prayer life. For some, it's that we fail to grasp God's holiness. I want to read a quote from Pete Gregg. Don't skip this bit. This is in reference to verse 9. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's so much more than a pleasantry that we get down to before we get down to the real business of asking. This primes the whole thing up. Hallowing is the most important and enjoyable dimension of prayer. So linger here. In losing the godness of God, we struggle with prayer because we fail to grasp the mind-blowing privilege of simply being in the presence of the living God. Familiarity breeds apathy until we can barely be bothered to try. Thomas Watson says to hallow is to set God's name above every name and not only admire him, but adore him. This is the adoration. Hallowing is about praise and adoration. I'll give you some practical ways that you can do that at the end of this message. But it's essentially honoring God for who he is. Father, there's no one else like you. Sovereign, big, powerful, mighty, good, holy, awesome, set apart. Adoration is defined in the Book of Common Prayer as the lifting up of the heart and mind to God, asking nothing but to enjoy his presence. And you know, what we hallow is ultimately what we most value. Because it's who or what you acknowledge to be the most important thing in your life. And I don't think I'm in a room, or if you're at home, you're watching with us this morning. I don't think I'm alone in in saying this, friends. There's an awful lot of stuff that wants to compete for the hallowed spot in our life. That actually wants to just nudge Jesus out and say, let me become the main thing. 
That can be career for some, that can be money for others, that can be relationships, that can be possessions, that can be any number of things. But there's a lot of stuff that just wants to bump Jesus, bump the Father, sorry, out of the hallowed spot in our life and say, make me the focus. Make me the main thing. And actually what Jesus gives us in the Lord's Prayer isn't every day, it's a daily prayer this day. It's this day, it's this day, it's our bread for this day. Give us this day. It's a daily prayer we pray because I believe that what Jesus is trying to teach us is that every day is an opportunity. And in fact, it's essential that we reset and refocus. That we reset and refocus and say, Father, number one. Some other stuff's trying to come in. Number one. I hallow you. And every day we have an opportunity to say, not other stuff, but actually spending time with you for you, for who you are, is what matters. And as we begin to hallow him, here's the beautiful thing, things begin to come into perspective. It begins to bring things back into perspective. Focusing upon the truth that he's sovereign and good and holy and awesome and big really helps me. Because I don't know about anyone else, but let me tell you, friends, sometimes I get focused on what's going on in my world and in my life. And it's not that that's not important to God, so don't hear my heart. But the danger of when you focus through the microscope and you look through a microscope for too long and you don't look through your telescope and look up is that you begin to find what you end up with are big problems in a little God. And actually, when you look up through your telescope to the God of the cosmos, actually, it's a big God with small problems. He's able. I know it doesn't... I'm not saying that means that everything always works out exactly like we always want it to work out. And I don't know why some things don't always work out, but I resolve to trust in this, that if I see and believe that God is sovereign and God is good and God is big and God is holy, even when it hurts and even when I don't understand, I hold on to this. I can trust him because he is big and he is sovereign. And even if I don't get it, he's got a plan. He knows what he's doing. It might hurt, but he knows who he is. I might wish it would turn out some other way. I might wish he'd do it some other way or not do it the way he is doing it. But I resolve to rest into this fact. He's my heavenly father and he is good. That's all sometimes you can hold on to when life's nuts and crazy and you don't know what's going on. And others have been through far more difficult things than me. But God loves you and God is good. And we rest into that and we trust him in that. Pete Gregg says, although sometimes life hurts like hell, let's be real. Deleting God from the equation certainly doesn't help. It removes all meaning and hope for now and for the future. Halloween is realizing he is all I've got. He is everything. I can trust him because I'm a child of the best dad that there is. The God of the cosmos. The one who is far bigger than my capacity to understand. I remember as a young believer, someone once saying to me, why do you try and fit God in this space here? How do you contain the God of the universe in this little gap here? He's far bigger. He transcends that. God, my telescope, I focus on you. I love Acts 4. And this is highlighted in the course, how they're hauled up in front of the religious courts to be silenced and threatened and intimidated and I want to just say that wasn't like a small issue. That was a big deal. In those days, you were, you know, majority of people would have been very fearful. If the courts were threatening to silence you, the fear could have been utterly gripping. 
But Acts 4 tells us how they responded. When they released, they went to their friends. They were threatened. Don't you go out and talk about Jesus. Shut up. That was the threat. Don't you go and speak about him because you'll know what's coming to you. So when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, listen to this, they lifted their voices together to God. Their first port of call was prayer. Not let's strategize. Let's not think about what we're going to do. Let's not try and get some sort of rationale. Their first port of call is let's focus on God. And they begin to pray. Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Wow, can you see what they're doing here? Can you see how they're immediately fixing their eyes on God? Now, if you'd been silenced, if you'd have you know, been threatened, if you'd have been intimidated in a court, how many people like me would have probably run out of that place and think, gosh, what am I going to do? And the first port call in your prayer might have been something more like this. Help! Help me! They might take my life. They might kill me, God. Don't you care? You, do you see what's going on? God, I need you to do this. I need you to stop this for me. And they come out and say, Sovereign Lord. Wow, that challenges me. Who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Who through the mouth of your father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. On to the next one if we can. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus." And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. How many times you was in, you, how long since you was in one of those prayer meetings? And the place in which they had gathered together was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. I just want to draw your attention just to, not just the fact that they prayed, but how they prayed. This is not mine. This is what I got from something in the course. But it says that in English, they prayed 137 words, but only 35 were asking God to do anything. Now, if that was me, I think we'd have been somewhere more in the realm of 102 asking God to do something. But only 35 out of 137 words are they actually asking God to do anything. Now, for you mathematicians, that, that works out like this. 74% of that prayer, they're doing something. They're telling God stuff he already knows about himself. By the way, God, do you know you're sovereign? Can we just go back to that previous screen there, please, Jess? You're sovereign. Oh, by the way, God, you made the heaven and the earth. And God's like, oh, I did wonder. You sort of think, what's going on? It's worship and adoration. It's putting their story in a bigger narrative that they have the best heavenly dad there is who's sovereign, good, Awesome, holy, and powerful. Wow. And as they focus on the bigness of God and then move into the place of their need, the place is shaken, they're filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with boldness, and the gospel spreads like wildfire. So as we finish up, I just want to kind of land now, at that acronym that we're using, which is PRAY, P-R-A-Y, as four steps to help us to talk to God. 
Today, really, we're talking around pause and rejoice. P and R, ask and yield, we're going to get into over the next coming weeks. But I just want you to understand this, friends, today, that Jesus so wants us to see when we come to spend time with God, that before we move to asking, we do so with a deep awareness of two things. One, that we are loved and we have the most amazing Father. And two, God is good and God is big and God is powerful. And so that P stands for pause. And the point's made in the course, often the best way to start is to stop. Don't just dive in with your requests and missed adoration. Sit or stand or walk quietly for long enough to focus on the wonder of the one who you are coming to, who he is. I know that in my life, God has been reminding me of that again because often I fill silence. Often I dive in. I'm a bit more like action-orientated. Crank the music up and all that kind of stuff. But actually, Psalm 46 verse 10 says, Be still and know that I'm God. Still yourself for long enough to become conscious of the one whose presence you're in. Of the one who you're coming to. Allow enough time for stress and distractions to settle. Anyone else struggle with distraction and when they come to pray. Yeah, I said this morning, I walked in. I was, God, I'm so pleased to spend time with you. God, I'm so glad that I'm here. I thank you. You're so good. Oh, did Bethany charge her laptop last night? Because she's going to need that on Monday. And I see it sitting over there. And the lead doesn't look like it's been plugged in. Anyway, God, you're really good. And I do love you. That's how it goes sometimes. Not all the time, because she does charge her laptop from time to time. But I love Francis Assisi. just used to sit there and repeatedly say this at the start. My God and my all. My God, am I all. He just used to breathe and just bring himself into an awareness of the one whose presence he was in. Distractions come. Don't be unsettled by that thing. Oh, well, I'm rubbish. I can't stay focused. You know, on the course, they talk about them being like waves. When you're on, in a boat on a, on a calm sea and the waves come, you know, something bombs by and the wave comes and the boat rocks about for a bit. But you know that if you sit it out for long enough, it settles and becomes calm again. And sometimes it's just like that in God's presence. Something drives by your mind. The waves come. But if you wait long enough, they'll settle and become calm. Secondly, rejoice. Adoration. Hallow the name of the Father. Bring your thanksgiving. Thank him for all his evidence of his goodness and his love in your life. Speak it out, Philippians 4.4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. How do we do those two things? And I, I'm done now. Andy, perhaps you can come back. And Amanda, because I wanna, would love to finish with that prophetic song, Amanda, that God gave you. Just three things to give you to practically help you to adore and rejoice. First of all, I want to be real with you today, and I want to say this. The honest truth is, friends, you won't even feel like it sometimes. I would be an absolute liar if I told you every morning I went bounding into the presence of God, overflowing with joy. Some mornings I go in there and think, I do not feel like this at all. I'd have rather stayed in bed. Sometimes I do sort of think, I know what I'll do. I'll just sit down and start there. That will be okay, and then I fall asleep. I'm just, let's be real about that. Let's be honest about that. Sometimes we're overflowing with joy and sometimes we're simply not feeling it. Psalm 103, David had to wake his soul up. He had to. And you know, I love this thing they say on the course about how when you're overcome with emotion, it's easy to say to someone, I love you. When there's like a hormonal surge or you're overcome with emotion, you know, you say, oh, I love you. You know, because you feel that emotional moment upon you. 
And you know, but the trouble is that if you, if I only told my wife that I love her every time I'm overcome with emotion, sometimes she'll be waiting an awful long time for me to tell her I love her. And they make the point that actually if we don't, if we only do it when we're overly emotional or in a moment like that, actually we won't tell people that we love them enough. But there's something, when you say I love you in the reality of a difficult moment or on a cold day, in the cold light of day, when you say I love you, it's often more meaningful. And Hebrew says, offer a sacrifice of praise. And that means you've got to worship. When you don't feel like it, that's when it's sacrificial. When it's Sunday morning and we're singing stirring songs. I am a child of God. And we're all like, yeah, I am. And then that miserable Monday morning rolls around. And you're like, am I? <laughs> what you've got to go into and what's coming ahead of you in that day. But you know, somehow I just feel that when we're able to worship when it's sacrificial, it's precious to God because it's costly. And the Psalms, that's what the handout on your sheet is for. The advice to use the Psalms as a way to build adoration into your prayer life. Read them out loud like they were first meant to be read out. They stir your soul. The Psalms were the prayer book of Jesus. That's amazing. In our hands, the very same prayer book that he used and loved, we have a priceless resource to use in worship. Prayers for the start of a new day. Prayers before we go to bed. Prayers for day and night. I've taken to doing this just in, as I begin to get started in my time with God. Just reading out a psalm. Speaking it out. Get the worship music on. The melody and the harmony. The God-given gifts that stir us. So next week before we get into ask. If there's a simple takeaway for you from today. I would love it to be this. Prayer is climbing up into God's lap. Prayer is enjoyable, prayer is powerful, and prayer puts things back into perspective. Lord, teach us to pray.